So welcome back to this second podcast. Uh, you will hopefully have listened to podcast one, uh, which was episode 68, and this is episode 69. Um, and you'll know that we've got Erin and Rebecca that have kind of given up their evening to talk to us uh, about the microbiome and, and you know, and, and just a really, really, really exciting, interesting space that we've just been walking through and hopefully painting a bit more of a picture about this fairly dynamic, you know, microbiome and, and how, you know, we can potentially impact it. And what we want to do in this next sort of 15 or 20 minutes and accept in here that we aren't going to know all the answers, that this, like all the fields, this is going to evolve and, and we're going to find out that there's different ways and better ways to to, to improve the, the microbiome and therefore impact the immune system. But ultimately, today, we will see patients in clinic who say, what diet should I do? You know, are, is plant stuff good? Is the ketogenic diet good? Can I take um, yogurt? How do they work? What's the point of them? I don't really know the answers. I'm not even sure Anna, who knows the answers to everything, knows all of those answers. And so let's kind of get into that space and really think about it. So let's get into the diet space. Let's think about what are the simple messages. So I might come to Erin and Rebecca first. What are you, you know, the simple messages? I, I think what I'm getting is that patients should try and get fiber into their diet. And again, actually, I've started saying that and I wasn't up until a few weeks ago and that their diet should be varied. Is that two fair statements? If so, why? And is there anything else that we think where we are now that we can recommend to patients? Yeah, so I think you know, they're both diets and um, aspects of diet that we know are really important for, for overall health. And so there's no downside to, to doing that. And I guess the exciting thing is that the evidence that's emerging is that, that doing those um, things with diet, so a varied diet, uh, fibre, plant-based um, fibre, lots of fruit and vegetables, you know, the emerging evidence is that that is going to be potentially beneficial. It, you know, it's not going to be the perfect magic bullet for everyone, but it's something that, you know, is definitely a, a good recommendation. Um, one of the other things that has come up, you know, again, this is not a massive cohort of people, but that's come up, coming up in our studies is um, omega-3 as well. So all of these things that are things that we know to be part of a, a balanced, healthy diet um, are the things that are coming up um, as themes in terms of um, beneficial outcomes for, for cancer therapy. So Yeah, and I think these sorts of diets and higher fibre are things that are not only across our studies in the context of cancer, but more generally, uh, tend to be linked with microbiome features such as increased diversity, which has been shown to be good for your uh, just gut health in general, but also um, linked with better responses in across some cohorts. Um, but also this idea of um, promoting gut barrier function, which we touched on previously. Okay. And Anna, just in the clinical world, do you think, 
do you think there's a role for a dietitian here and and and, and you know and, and i guess even more than that a dietitian who is familiar with this space because it feels like again i'm just a little bit worried that in the 15 minutes i've got to see a patient i already struggle to kind of talk about treatment and consent them and you know check toxicities i want to do this stuff particularly as i think it's going to be important but are we the right people as as the sort of consultant leads to the team or actually is this almost becoming a specialty in itself and and do you think there's going to be dietitians who might lead in this space i really hope so is probably my answer to that so i, I don't think necessarily that we're the right people to do this i think we're the right people to to sort of champion the fact that we need to think about it and to sort of start moving the conversation forward but do i feel like i'm the right person to give advice about diet not not really to be honest I can give sort of high level um, advice I think you know that's really helpful to know that the advice that I'm giving my patients about having a normal healthy balanced diet and not not excluding significant types of food groups is is really useful for me to know but I think as time goes on and I can see you know you are sitting here musing at the end of our last podcast about the fact that you know um you know the for example the northern European diet they're known to have high fiber diets they know to have a lot of fermented foods in their diet and it's interesting that that plays out in in the sort of in the work that Rebecca and Erin have done and I just sit there and think I wonder if you know do we need to be profiling microbiome at the same time as we're doing our 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 studies and so you wonder if in the future that might be something that we're doing and that certainly isn't something that I'm going to have the expertise in or necessarily the time to do it justice so I really hope that our dietitian colleagues sort of find this interesting and actually think about it as a new a new angle on their role because obviously most uh, you know historically dietetics has been about sort of essentially calorie loading and, and and protein loading and I think you know that that is it's that is vastly simplified and obviously not what they all do but actually trying to this is sort of a new area in some ways but I think if we could get to the point where dietitians were in were interested in picking this up I think it'd be hugely beneficial for our patient our patient community because actually you know they've got they understand the rest of the rest of the conversation about diet and and the complexities thereof and um, so actually this very much feels like a natural progression but I think it's it's going to take time and again we have to think about so people having the capacity to do this and how we're going to integrate this into our day-to-day practice when when in the future and it doesn't feel that far away that we will have actually a decent amount to say and advise about this and that will generate a lot of questions I think and so I think we need to start thinking about that now and preparing for how our services might look as as this becomes a much bigger topic of conversation rightly so but also there's probably going to be a sort of a cost burden associated with it in terms of you know are we going to sequence people's microbiome are we going to look at that prior to starting are we going to look at whether any any changes that they've made to their diet or their supplementation has has changed that um i don't know the answer to those things but you wonder if that's the direction that we might end up going so i think we do need to think about this on a sort of slightly bigger scale aside from the consultant giving some information about taking a healthy balanced diet in clinic okay and then erin rebecca when we talk about somebody's microbiome, how do we even sample it? it uh, is it is it their poo? Do we need to do a camera test and take some away and look at it? Uh, just logistically, if we wanted to start doing that stuff, and and obviously you're doing lots in this space, how do we even do it like, logistically? Yeah, so most of the work that um, has been done and most of the profiling of microbiome that's done is based on um, fecal samples. And there's lots of different sort of kits available now where it's quite um, sort of user-friendly. 
you know, relatively speaking, it's still a bit icky, I guess, but um, relatively user-friendly to sort of collect uh, a fecal, for a patient to collect a fecal sample, um, you know, put that up, sort of close that up and put it in the freezer or it's got a sort of protective um, sort of chemistry in there. Um, and then that gets sent off uh, to lab and we use um, profiling of the DNA of the microbes to determine which microbes are there and the sort of relative proportions of them. So that's something that, you know, we do a lot in the lab, but it's also now um, moving towards being able to have, you know, sort of clinically relevant turnaround times. Um, where, you know, in the lab traditionally we'd sort of wait till we've got a lot of samples and then send a big batch off. That's not going to work for a clinical setting. And so it is the field is now moving though towards that rapid turnaround where you can get results in a in a clinically relevant time frame. And you know, I think that um, sort of testing of microbiome, it really feeds into what you're saying before, Anna, about how this is going to to need expertise and as we move towards, you know, goals like personalized diets that are based on people's microbiomes um you know there's a whole it's a whole new area that um that expertise will need to 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 be out there i guess yeah i think Rick, it's really interesting isn't it and one of the things i was reflecting on so a few years ago i started doing some very small fry work in this area but one of the things that came up a lot was um patients feeling a little bit put off about giving samples in this in this space I think because they did think it was a bit icky and they were a bit they they they, they needed a bit of gentle encouragement so I think one of the things that I think you know I would reiterate here for any patients that are listening to this and anybody that's um sort of got the potential to contribute to microbiome samples is that actually just to reassure people that although it's not necessarily the nicest thing to do it has huge potential for information and and to to really progress where we are in the field because I think it is a little bit off-putting because it's not it's not a blood sample it's you know it's a little little bit more involved it's a little bit less comfortable but actually I would I would say you know it's really important for us to to, to really support our patients to, to to participate in these trials because they're so they're so important and they're really sort of starting to give us a whole a whole new you know view of the world if you like so just sort of reflecting on it, it was quite challenging because I think people felt a little bit a little bit out out of their comfort zone and actually I think one of the roles for us in clinic is to say how relevant it is and how important it is and and really support our patients to to want to donate samples because I think it's going to you know, a lot of this because it's so complicated the number of samples that you have and the number of people contributing is really important to understand this in depth and so I think you know that's probably one of our roles in in, in clinical practices to try and you know recruit as many people as we can on on relevant studies because I think that's where the answers will will fall essentially. Okay, so then when we say to patients, because again, I started to say it based on, you know, to be fair, based on this paper that that that, that Rebecca and Erin have been involved in, I've started to say to patients, try and get a varied diet, try and get lots of foodstuffs in, you know, a, a, a diversity, and I've talked about, you know, as many sort of plants, and and I guess what I don't really understand is, am I by doing that, am I telling patients to take more foodstuffs that will help grow their bacteria or am I saying by taking all those different foodstuffs you will take in more different bacteria so what am I doing is it is it food for the bacteria that's already there or is it new bacteria that come with the foods you're eating Erin Rebecca just help me to understand this um, I guess in terms of fiber, you're generally providing food for the bacteria that are already there. 
But if you're giving the bacteria the food that it wants, it's going to thrive and it's going to um, allow it to, I guess, increase in overall relative abundance. I think another relevant consideration in fiber is there's different types of fiber and different microbes like different types of those fibers. So by having a diverse diet with lots of different types of plants, you're introducing lots of different types of fiber, which will then promote this diversity of good bacteria. Okay. Okay. So here's my ignorance. When people talk about yogurts and they talk about probiotics, I've realized having read now a little bit in this space that there's a difference between prebiotics, probiotics and postbiotics. And I realized I used to say one or any of them at different times, assuming it just was another word for yogurt. Turns out I wasn't right. It would be really useful for me if somebody could explain if there's a difference between these words and what the difference is and what word I should be using in clinic. Um, Rebecca, Erin, maybe start with you. Um, yeah, so so you've, you've listed um, listed a few. So I'll sort of do them in, in order. So prebiotic, it refers to um, a particular substrate or um, nutrient, and it's usually a fibre that can stimulate um, the growth of microbes in the gut. So a fibre supplement um, would be a prebiotic. A probiotic is giving a micro, microorganism itself. So um, these are available as in over-the-counter um, type probiotics, but there's a lot of development um, in, in the research space in terms of trying to d develop um, ones that are more, I guess, targeted than the sort of traditional over-the-counter ones. And then postbiotics is talking about the products that bacteria produce. So can we just give a microbial metabolite um, as a pill that will, will have a, a beneficial effect? Um, so there's sort of different, you know, elements of, I guess, that microbial ecosystem and the, the nutrients they require. Um, and then fermented foods like yogurt sort of, I guess, overlap a little bit with both, both probiotics and postbiotics in the sense that you've got the beneficial um, microorganisms in there, but you've also got the products that the bacteria have made while they've been fermenting um, in that food. So it's sort of a, a double um, benefit. But I will add in there that there's probably some more comment we want to make about probiotics and certain studies that have been done on over-the-counter ones. Yeah, let's let's get into that because this is what loads of patients will want to know. Is there is if I'm you know, many patients are using probiotics, they probably don't tell Anna and I in clinic, even if they're doing it. Um, so is there where are we in that space is there anything that we think is at least relatively safe and won't be detrimental and and how do we think this space is going to change so yeah it'd be great to get into that the studies that have been done um have indicated that over-the-counter um, probiotics and it didn't really sort of specify which particular one it was just in general um, that they were associated with a poorer um, outcome in terms of immunotherapy um, so it's really sort of hard to say at the moment um, that people should go and have a particular one or you know I would probably hesitate to say go and get this this particular one I think you know we just don't have the evidence at the moment 
having said that, there's a lot of um, work being done to take some of the the microbes that are coming up in in various studies and and trying to develop them into usable probiotics. But I know that doesn't that doesn't help your patients today. Um, and I think you know it feeds back to um, I would be more comfortable saying aspects of diet that we know are beneficial than recommending a, a probiotic. But you know again. I'm not a clinician, um, but that's from our scientific knowledge at the moment. I think that's really helpful from us, from my point standpoint as a clinician, because I think for a long time we've said we don't think it adds anything. And I think actually we've sort of, you know, we were asked about it a lot and have been for a number of years, I think, because obviously some of this trickles into the media, not infrequently, and that's really good. And being asked about it is really good. Um, but I think I've, all, I've always said, you know, I, I don't think, you know, it, I've, I often say, you know, if it was that easy, then, you know, this we would this would have been something that we'd, we'd done a lot earlier. And I often say, you know, we, we don't know. So it is sort of useful to have that evidence to show that they are beneficial because I think actually same we, we have the similar conversation with things like cannabis oil in a completely different context but the same sort of conversation and actually being able to say and we know that cannabis oil can suppress the immune system so actually we recommend the patients don't don't take it whilst they're having immunotherapy and this is a similar thing I think it is really helpful to say to patients you know actually we we think there's that there's there's something in this we understand that this is relevant we don't think that what we can buy over the counter will help you and there is there is now some evolving evidence that suggests that the case and actually that's really helpful I think reassuring for patients that we can that we can now say that I think we can also say as you said you know there is good evidence for a balanced diet I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on fermented foods just because that's something that kind of comes up a lot in sort of conversation um, but we can sort of say positive things about diet and also say actually I probably wouldn't recommend them at the moment and that gives patients again that sort of framework and I think they find that helpful and they won't sort of go and buy their sort of um, covert Axamel um, <laughs> because because actually they've had a conversation about it so I think it's really really helpful to know that and for us to be able to frame it for patients in that context so thank you very much I think that is really really useful. Um, fermented foods um, Rebecca Erin any thoughts? I don't really know what fermented food is so someone will have to tell me what fermented food is and then tell me if you have any thoughts about them. Yeah, so I mean, fermented foods refer to foods where um, there are microbes or microbial cultures in there that have modified the original ingredients that have been put in. And they're very traditional, there are a lot of traditional foods across many different cultures. Um, so yogurts, um, sauerkraut, um, kimchi, you know, there's lots of traditional foods. They're often part of traditional diets. Um, the thing that is I guess thought to be beneficial about fermented foods is that you've got not only microbes in there, but you've got the activity of microbes on the foodstuffs that are potentially releasing um, compounds. Um, some of, you know, for example, the sort of plant phenolic compounds that you know, release them into that fermented food and then make it available when we consume it. So it, it you know, they're traditionally associated with um, sort of being a good part of, of diet. Does this benefit um, your uh, outcome when you have immunotherapy? I think we don't have strong evidence for that either way. I think it feeds into this concept of a broad diet that's giving you a variety of different nutrients. Um, but also I do want to just sort of emphasise as well that, you know, we are really excited about all of this and, and making these um, recommendations, but 
the re- there's still a lot of research to do in terms of being able to really personalise this and say that certain people will benefit from these things. Um, yeah, no, that's maybe really important. Yeah, and I think that's where that's where the that's where the information sort of is taking us, isn't it? I think it is really early days, and and I don't think anybody would expect you know us to have all the answers yet. And I think the broader the broader sort of piece over the sort of the holistic uh, sort of setting of this, you know, what what you're feeding your bacteria, what what bacteria are there, that sort of infrastructure and sort of symbiosis is really important. But also that kind of broader personalization piece, which is where we all really want to get to across across, you know, therapeutics and and sort of the supportive elements of that. But we are a long way away from that. And I think, you know, we do need to make sure that that people are aware of that, that we know that we should be able to at some point understand with more information about the human microenvironment and then their, their host immunity and their sort of and their diet and their microbiome that we will be able to understand more about that but that's probably some years away um and that you know that that answers that sort of comes up in lots of things you know how long do we need to give immunotherapy for probably as a personalized thing but we haven't got the information to do that am I going to respond to my immunotherapy also probably a personalized thing but we don't necessarily have all the answers for that at the moment so I think what we are doing is understanding the elements that may be relevant and we didn't necessarily have that information 10 years ago so I think it is it's walking through that and kind of understanding the various things that are are important and how eventually we might pull that through to a personalization strategy but it's not there yet on 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 all fronts not just on this front that's been a an absolutely fantastic discussion so look in the interest of time let's bring this one to a close and in the final part of this we'll pick up the role of FMT so look forward to seeing you again soon